What's up, guys? Thank you for tuning in to Niche the Niche. This episode is phase two of a digital marketing, social media marketing company. And to talk about these things, the accounting, sales, and marketing, I invited on Alex Mellon of Smart Sites to dive deep into how he does these things, how he set them up within his company. Enjoy. Before I play the interview, if you feel like you are a confused entrepreneur or you feel like you are just so confused about how entrepreneurship works, this show is for you because I try to offer microscopic understanding through this podcast with entrepreneurship, really understanding how to get from zero to one, one to two, one to three, etc. So please share this with your friends that might be entrepreneurs as well or curious because this content will help them out. Also, with whatever platform you're listening on, just subscribe, rate, and review the show. It takes about 20 seconds, and if you don't, I'll be so, so hurt. So please go and do that. Pause this episode right where it's at. Guys, I want you to remember that this is your brand to leverage, which means I want to tailor this content everything that I'm putting out specifically for you. I created a survey that I'm going to link into the show notes of this episode so that you can provide to me the information that I need to better serve you and how I can provide better value, better content, more actionable things specifically for you and your needs as you scale your entrepreneurial journey. It takes about 60 seconds to do such things and it'll help me so much to learn about you and how to better serve you. After subscribing to my show, go subscribe to my YouTube channel as well because I do offer videos and other content there that really breaks down and gives you leverageable, actionable things about entrepreneurship that you can digest and think more about and also implement into your own entrepreneurial journey. So go and subscribe to that niche, the niche. With all that being said, guys, let's jump into the interview. All right, Alex, we're going to jump right into the accounting, the marketing, and the sales for your business smart sites. But before we get into those topics and how you started them within your business, just quickly introduce yourself here so we know a little bit more about you. Yeah, cool. My name is Alex Mellon. Uh, I've been involved in the digital space for a very, very long time, starting my first company back in 1997, uh, T35 Hosting. And then uh, the current company I, I work at, uh, I started with my younger brother in 2011. Uh, so we started Smart Sites, which is a full-service digital marketing agency. I've been running it, jeez, uh, eight and a half years now. Yeah. So with your business right now, is it specifically for uh, social media? Like, what specifically do you focus on with your clients when you have one come come into your business? Yeah, great question. So we we we're a full service three sixty digital marketing agency. So we we like to say that there's very little things in the digital landscape that we can't tackle in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, I, our primary services are website design development, SEO, and pay per click. So we certainly do social media. I wouldn't say it's one of our core businesses, but uh, we we certainly do it. And a lot of social media these days falls under the pay per click umbrella, where it's paid social media. So the the paid side we do a lot of for sure. Uh, on the organic side we do as well, but usually more in a consulting role than the actual providing the, the service role. 
Yeah, sweet. So, Alex, on the show, I also like to ask just a random question to keep things fun and keep things light. <laughs> so the one question that I have for you is I saw that you liked VR, virtual reality, as just kind of yes. a personal a personal thing. So with that being the case, what is it that virtual reality makes makes it fun for you? What is that one thing that makes it engaging enough for you to be, you know, spending time with it? What is that one thing? Yeah, great question. So um, I, I really like to try to stay on top of all the upcoming technology and trends. And there's been so many that work out, don't work out. But generally speaking, having been involved in the internet in the uh, early mid 90s and see it evolve uh, has me really excited and trying to find the next thing that will really lead the 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 next generation of evolution in, in everything we do. Like literally the, the internet changed everything we do. And back in the early mid nineties, late nineties, even uh, people didn't fully understand it and, and then didn't comprehend the ability it had to really change the world. So through that, I'm, I'm very keen on new technology and innovation that could drive us there. Um, I think virtual reality, along with blockchain and a couple other kind of bleeding edge techs, right, could take us to, to that next level of technology. Um, so the, I'm, I'm enthusiast of that from that standpoint. I really think that similar to the internet back in the early mid 90s it could change the world in ways people don't fully understand now right mm-hmm. um i could see that in five ten years from now uh, a doctor could be doing an operation literally from his house and there's emergency operation puts on vr headset right He's, he will do the operation remotely there's no reason anymore for uh the doctor to have to physically go there to do it uh, in terms of education, right? I, I remember back in uh, elementary school, middle school, we would read like textbooks about about different countries, right? We would learn that's how you learn about different, learn like this is Italy, this is how it's shaped, this is the Italian culture. What a huge difference now! Even today, right now, you could put on a headset, right, and they already have the content there, and you could exactly. take a tour of Italy, right? You could go, you could go down Venice. They have a huge, the, I think, the Discovery Channel or History Channel did a huge VR thing on Venice literally spent four hours in Venice. What a huge change versus sitting and looking at a textbook. So that that's 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 my interest in VR just as a as a revolution that that's coming technology. But again, we uh, I followed other technology that that uh, I it seemed like it would it would be revolutionary, but didn't really get there. So mm-hmm. I think it's still in the up and coming stage. But that that's where my interest comes uh, comes from. I think. Uh, Similar to the internet, it really has so much, so much potential and similar to blockchain and a couple other things that are AI that's that's yeah. out there right now. So what are your what are your thoughts on AR too? Is it the same kind of interest on AR? Yeah, so it's very interesting. So uh, there, there's a lot of debates in, in, in the world of uh, in the AR VR world uh, um, of which will be the first to reach mass adoption. Yeah. And for a long, long time, it was VR that was supposed to lead it, right? It was supposed to be like the, the video game consoles that really pushed mass adoption, uh, the PlayStation and everything else. Um, the, the, the more recent thought is that AR is going to lead to more mass adoption just because there's so much more application to it. Um, I think it's still a toss-up of which one will do it, right? <laughs> All it takes is for a company like Apple to come in, and if Apple created like a full-blown VR product or or AR product, mm-hmm. all it takes is literally like one company like that to really push something to to cause adoption of it. Uh, it's it's like, uh, and and again, uh, I think Apple is a good good uh, good example here because. Apple is very good with not necessarily being the first to market, 
Like they didn't make the first computer. They didn't make the, the, the first cell phone. They didn't make the first MP3 player. They're very good at perfecting a product and pushing it to market. So uh, sorry, it was a very convoluted answer, <laughs> but I, I, think, uh, I think both AR and VR is important. I think uh, at this point, what's important is to really push for mass adoption a little more. Um, I think companies obviously like Facebook uh, and HTC has really pushed the VR space a lot and others. Uh, obviously the push now for on the VR side is to go cordless because uh, there's uh, at the end of the day, there's only so much uh, adoption you gotta get if you're ported to a computer and you have to be knowledgeable enough to buy the right computer and it has to be an expensive computer and you have to update the NVIDIA drivers. Um, I think that's the push on, on the VR side. Uh, I think there'll be a push on the AR side in, in application as well. I think the medical field lends itself very well to AR and VR. Yeah. I think the educational field uh, similar to my example of, of, uh, of uh, watching a video of Venice and everything like that. Uh, how cool is it if you go on a field trip to Italy and you're wearing an AR device and it literally shows you the history of everything mm-hmm. as you walk by and things like that. So huge application in both of them. I think they're both interconnected. I think it's just to see what, what, which one's going to drive the big push. Mm. Yeah, so I think I think people are looking towards the future and what is the next thing that is going to yeah. be the next internet. And I think VR and AR, based on what you yeah. just said, is going to be seriously such a big factor in how it affects everything in life and our lives. So, so Alex, to move on to the bulk of the interview here, talking about sales within your business, Smart Sites, if you could yeah. just dive deep into literally the zero to one when you had first started trying to just sell what you were doing as a company, walk us through that system you had initially and how that evolved and what kind of steps you had to take to make it evolve into what it is now. So dive deep into that beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, another good question. Um, it's it's a very it's a very broad question. I'm gonna mm-hmm. try to answer it in a way that helps people who are just starting businesses or just starting out. I think that's right. That's that that's the audience that mm-hmm. would be the most interesting to your audience. Um, so I'll, I'll frame it this way. Uh, when we just started the company, we really had zero sales. We had no sales people. We had no sales team, and we had no sales. Uh, but I think more importantly. Aside from, from from having sales and having salespeople, uh, we didn't have a strategy in place, and we didn't really have a huge focus. And I don't say those necessarily as a negative thing. I just say those in a way that a lot of businesses starting up are in that position, and that's okay. Um, as we started, and we actually started selling and getting customers, uh, we were really all over the place. Uh, we knew we wanted to be a digital agency, right? Uh, but that mean that can mean so many different things. And and the beginning in the beginning we were really we prided ourselves at just being very scrappy and we would we would provide whatever service the clients asked for. Uh, so we started doing our own marketing on, on Google pay-per-click and other channels, word of mouth. Uh, we start ha- started having uh, clients come in and we really would through through that process just take all the business, literally anything that would like uh, we're a digital company, right? Someone would say, oh, I, I also want a billboard design. Sure, we'll design your billboard, right? <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, at, at one point, we started doing marketing for e-commerce company, and we were like, wow, this is actually working out really well. Let's let's also try starting our own e-commerce company. And we started our own e-commerce company that actually we ship products, and so we were we were really all over the place. And again, it's not necessarily a negative thing, but I think. Um, uh, a lot of people, when they start out, actually lack that component. And I think it's okay to experiment mm-hmm. and to not really uh, um, specialize in something right off the bat, because right off the bat, it's very hard for you to really fully understand 
what services you'll provide the best and the best i mean not internally like it's if you enjoy doing it but the best is in uh, where you provide the most value for your clients mm -hmm. and i think uh really experimenting with everything in the beginning is is what what helps the process so throughout the years as, as we kept rolling along we realized there were certain things we're we're good at and create huge huge return for clients and certain things we're not and that's okay too for example we don't we do all kinds of website developments we don't do app development. We could make we could make an app, right? Uh, we could make a, a, a website that'll load as an app. We, we, we work in app space. We have the capability. We just know that's not our, our core core service, and and we're okay with that. So I think uh, going starting off a company and starting your sales process and going from as you said from zero to to one, zero to hundred. Um, I think it's just important to to really experiment in the beginning in both the services you're selling, how you're selling them. Um, it, it's, I've, I've been involved with a, a lot of companies over the years. Very, very rarely do people off the bat come up with a plan of what they're going to sell, how they're going to sell it, execute exactly on that plan and are successful. Hmm. Um, the companies who are successful are the ones that are flexible, uh, the ones that are experiment and the ones that are able to really hone in on what their value add is. Hmm. I don't know if that directly answers your question or if there's a, any follow-up no, no. to that. Yeah, so the, I do have a follow-up question to that is, is when you had your first initial client, your first initial pitch, like when you were just starting your business, what was that story like? What was that process of you getting ready for that? What was the pitch like? How did you start working for that client? What kind of work did you start doing for them? Walk us through that whole story yeah, of the yeah. first client. Good question. I, I can't think of a specific first one because we kind of uh, hit the ground running. As soon as we started advertising, we were getting a lot of clients um, just because at that point and, and still today, there's a lot of demand. Uh, so we focus on the SMB, the, the small business, um, even more so now. But if you think back to 2011, uh, more and more SMBs had no digital presence, no website, no marketing. And uh, back then, the demand was finally starting to pick up for that. So we kind of hit the ground running with a lot of different clients. So I don't have like a specific, specific one, specific story I can remember. But going through the initial couple, I remember it was a similar theme that I just talked about that we, we really uh, let the client lead the conversation and maybe a little bit too much in terms of uh, whatever the client wanted, we pretty much did. Um, and, and that's probably also an interesting takeaway because over time we learned that it's okay for the client to ask us to do certain things, but uh, we as the digital experts should lead the conversation and the way it should be done and what's most valuable to a client uh, because we have the expertise to really guide that process. In the beginning, literally, and uh, we, we were happy to have a, client, a possible client talking to us, right? And whatever they wanted, we would do. And they'd be like, uh, they're like, okay, can we get 50% off? Sure, 50% off, it's yours. <laughs> and we're just hand, handing out websites left and right. At one point we started, we, we lowered the price of them. We lowered the price of them just because it seemed like clients wanted them cheaper because people would just be like, can we get cheaper? It's a natural, natural, I think, negotiation process. But we'd be like, sure. So we started making cheap websites. They were shitty. So the, the, the product was bad. We would make no money. The client would be upset because the, the finished product was bad. We make no money because we sold it too cheap. So it was uh, 
definitely a lot of ex experimenting in yeah. the beginning. And it, and and, and they, they, again, I don't want to scare anyone away from experimenting. <laughs> I think experimenting is okay, uh, but there's definitely uh, a, a lot of things that you look back on and you're like, oh man, that was that was crazy. <laughs> like literally, it came out websites. It was uh, like no QA. We were just like, need a website next week? That's fine. Uh, <laughs> let's do let's, it. <laughs> let's put something out for you. So it's. Uh, I think it take. I think it's normal as as a company goes through through the growing stages. Uh, Hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely, I remember a lot of moments like that. I think in really any business, it's, it's beneficial to, like you're saying, sp experiment because you get that experience and you get that knowledge firsthand, like hands-on of what you know best and you get actual client work, actual experience. And even if that does fail failure, I think is the best way to learn from your, from, from any like life experiences. Yeah. And so if you can just offer your services for free, I know other people like Gary V says all the time, you just got to get in there for free. Do, do something for clients for free just to get in and learn and then evolve step by step by step after that. And so I think it's beneficial to, like you're saying, just get in and learn what you can hands on. Don't, don't be yeah. like creating all this stuff and then like avoiding getting clients because money is oxygen for your business. So you just got to get going in that initial phase. So Alex, Another follow-up to the, the sales aspect of your business, looking back at your experiences with selling and how in getting clients worked, what do you recommend that we can look at a young entrepreneur to best be prepared to sell you know, a product like yours and, and a business like yours to a client? What resources, what knowledge, what strategies should we know of beforehand before we get started selling something like you do? Good question. Um... Uh... I think a lot of it comes back again to the experimenting. I don't think anyone off the bat will know exactly the way to sell or how to sell. And I don't think anyone could tell that to anyone either. I don't think it's just, uh, there's no like secret formula that I'm gonna A plus B equals C and I gotta go down and I'm gonna apply this formula to my business. Um, I think every business is different. Um, I think what's important is to be open-minded and experiment like we talked about, but aside from that, uh, I think really have to be open to opportunities. Um, again, I interact with a lot of businesses, both the ones I participate in and the ones I've helped in and just a lot of people I've met along the way. Uh, and businesses that succeed are, are the ones where the people are the most open-minded uh, and open-minded both to change, to client feedback and opportunities. Um, I know someone, for example, that had a company that actually scaled very quickly and was doing fairly well. Um, and I remember having conversations with the, with the founder and he would just always tell me like, you know what, I just don't have good opportunities. I'm always looking for, I don't, just don't have them. And in reality, he was getting the opportunities. He just wouldn't see them as opportunities, right? Um, if, if, for example, again, not, not something, I would specifically recommend, but when when we were starting and a client asked us to design a billboard or something, right? Um, we could just be like, oh, we, we do digital. A billboard is not digital. I want nothing to do with it, right? Mm -hmm. It's an opportunity. And we actually, from that, learned a lot of specific graphic design stuff. We learned that designing uh, graphics for the offline world is completely different than online. There's different colors that are used, there's different formats. And that helped us later to frame a branding package we do where we design business cards and packets and everything. That was a huge opportunity for us, right? So it's it's very important, I think, uh, aside from any secret formula of how to sell and how to become a good salesperson, there's all the, there's tons of uh, 
self-help books, videos, podcasts, on, <laughs> on, on all of that that I think people could follow. I think at the end of the day, there's no secret formula, but I think my 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 takeaway would be that you have to be really open-minded and there's I think everyone has tons of opportunities both in starting their business and in their career if they haven't started a business yet it's just uh, if you're not open-minded you will miss out and you won't realize it's an opportunity so Alex with this as well what do you recommend that we avoid with with a business like yours trying to sell what do you recommend we avoid either in a pitch or mentalities what are like two things that you recommend we just completely stay away from that's a good one. Um, I would avoid over promising. That's I think that's a big one for startups. Um, I've seen both in sales and pitching venture capitalists uh, a lot of over promising. Um, that stuff catches up to you. You over promise, under deliver, and especially in today's age, uh, you do that on a on your service. Your online reputation will take a hit that will be very hard to recover from. Yeah. And it's, you know what, it's very easy, especially if you're not a one-man shop, if you have a couple of people, right? It's very easy for someone to be like, oh man, I got my sales numbers. I'm just gonna tell this guy, we're gonna make this website in five days. Um, or I'm gonna tell him, you know what, he, he wants to hear that we're gonna triple his uh, his sales. Let me just tell him we're gonna triple sales. Uh, <laughs> online reputation is just very, very hard to, to recover from, aside from obviously you don't wanna screw over clients and things like that. Um, I think I think that's a big one to stay away from. I don't know what what are some random ones. I remember we did a pitch for a very big company when we just started, and they're I don't know I think they're they're billion dollar company now. Uh, but we we did a big pitch, and part of our pitch we talked about our personal company financials just because we thought it was important to uh, convey that we are strong. Financially, we're a strong company. Like we have a lot of revenue, we have good profit margins. Now, looking back, and it's silly, by the way, but I remember we, were, we showed this, and the the CEO of the company was there, and he was like, "Never do that again, right?" We were younger <laughs> and everything, but he's like, "As as a person that that's going to be purchasing your service, I don't want to know your profit margin. I don't want to know, right, that you're making huge profit margins on me." And, <laughs> I don't need to know your cash flow. So for us as a small company, we're like, oh, this is very important to show that we're, we're growing and reputable. And he's like, yeah. don't ever do this again. So uh, aside from my uh, top level uh, top level advice, I think the practical advice would be something like that to avoid as well. I don't know how many other companies do, do it, but <laughs> I remember going into that presentation and made a lot of sense. And coming out of it, I was like, oh man, what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> So, so Alex, moving on to the marketing with your company, which is kind of similar to sales, if you could just dive deep into the initial marketing of how you started with smart sites, just with that initial system and then how that evolved just a little bit, dive deep into the zero to one here. Yeah. So, so very tied into sales, uh, marketing, we, we luckily enough, we're in, we're in the industry where it gets a practice where we preach. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do our own online advertising, just like we do on behalf of clients. Um, it's, it's, uh, and it's probably the lowest hanging fruit for most industries, Google search, right? Because, uh, geez, I'm going to get in trouble with my Facebook rep if he, if he sees this, but, um, <laughs> the Google search is much lower on the purchase intent funnel. Yes. Facebook ads are very good too. And for a lot of brand awareness and things like that. Uh, but in a lot of cases when you're a small business and you just need clients through the door, uh, for example, you're a plumber, let's say, um, how are you going to get business if you literally bid on on Google search on keywords like uh, plumber New Jersey or something like that? That's 
literally as direct in the funnel as you could go. Yes, on Facebook, you could do ads to people who are in market for, for plumbing and all of that, mm, try to guess purchase intent, but lowest hanging fruit is Google. And that's how we started with Google ads. And literally we would bid on keywords. It would be like PPC advertising, website design, and we still do to this, to this day. Uh, it's a big upfront risk. Um, uh, Google ads were expensive expensive back then i remember on my first business on my web posting business um i thought it was very expensive to pay five cents per click on on the word web posting that's back when google allowed five cents a click now now it's a 10 cents a click minimum mm. um we're we're spending a hundred dollars a click now on ppc management but so it's a it's all relative but it, either either way it's very expensive and it's very you could be very quick to lose a lot of money so you have to be careful with it obviously and it, it's a risk right it's uh your return even even if you're a plumber which is an immediate business like usually someone calling for a plumber they have like literally water flowing like in a commercials right picture the commercials water <laughs> flowing out of the pipe and they're, they're like house being flooded uh even in that case it's not that immediate immediate return because you pay for that click and then someone calls and then they have to convert and they mm -hmm. pay you so so with that, it's a little bit closer, but still it's our for investment. You have to say, I'm going to set aside this money. Uh, and again, I'll go back to my experimenting thing. When we started and to this day, uh, on top of a uh, budget of what actually works, uh, we have experimental budget. And as, as you start up, your experimental budget is, is bigger and your what works budget is smaller because you don't know what works yet. And then over time, experimenting is less and what works is more, but uh, you took our money uh, pretty much at the wall and see what sticks. We, we advertise a lot of services. It took us a while to figure out exactly which service gets what ROI. Um, mm. even, even in our plumber example, for example, uh, uh, it takes a while to figure out which keywords are more valuable to you. It'll take a while to figure out that you should be on mobile devices at this time of the day because that's when people come home and realize their house is flooding. Yep. So it, there's there's definitely experimental component. You just have to have the the money aside and be okay with spending because uh, I, I've seen a lot of companies, uh, especially in the venture capitalist stage, before they get funding, they have they have money they invested in the business, so it's sitting in the bank account. They know they have to spend something on marketing, uh, but they're still very quick to turn it on, and then they get no results for three days and they turn it off. Mm. Um, which at that point is definitely a waste of money because you didn't do any experiment, you didn't learn anything. So uh, I think I think you have to set the money aside, say this month, I'm gonna spend this much, this month I'm gonna spend that much and just do it, right? Mm -hmm. If you set aside 3000 and you've only, and halfway through the month and you spend only a hundred bucks, try experimenting with something else. You really need to uh, set the budgets aside and just experiment with different things. But uh, in most industries, Google followed by Facebook uh, and digital advertising is, is usually the best ROI. But again, the ROI might not be instant for us right now. Um, if we sell, for example, a, a, a marketing or website, whatever we sell, uh, it's not ROI positive for a couple months. Uh, and different businesses uh, might be even more so. If you're if you're in a luxury car business and you're you're selling, let's say, a Rolls Royce or something, right? The 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 purchase cycle could be like 12 months. So Huge, yeah. you have to, yeah you have to understand that and be okay with investing in it and waiting, and also have the ability to wait that long. You have to have enough money and enough patience to understand the the time frames. Mm -hmm. So Alex, was this you setting up that initial system with the online marketing or did you have someone that knew it a little bit better or a partner that was specifically for the online marketing? Was it, was it you that set it up and was it, was it 
was it a hard process to get that going and and was it you or was it someone else that that initially started that yes so it's a good question um so i i started the company with my my younger brother uh we also right off the bat brought on board i think we started with maybe eight people in the u.s um aside from me and my brother i think everyone was fairly new to digital world so uh it was on me and, and my brother mike to set up everything and teach people everything um, I was in charge of the pay-per-click and marketing, um, and still am uh, for most of it. Um, so I, I, I'm not gonna say it was all me because there's a, a lot of a lot a lot of uh, a lot of people that are involved that help, and for sure I couldn't have done everything myself. But uh, I I was in uh, involved with definitely a lot of the setup, and mm. still am with a lot of it. Was there what was the evolution like when you were just starting from that zero to one? Was it was it a different marketing strategy when it got to like zero to fifty? Did you still do the online marketing? Was there another facet of marketing that you started to implement? What was the evolution yeah. after you had gotten some traction? Yeah, uh, so I I would say uh, from the starting in the beginning, um, it was a lot scarier. Uh, every hundred dollars we spent uh, without uh, client calling in was very scary. Mm -hmm. um, setting aside money to experiment with uh, was very scary, knowing that let's toss a thousand dollars at Facebook and see what happens was very, very scary. Um, as, as you actually realize that the business is working and you're getting results, it becomes a little bit scary. Uh, I'll say even to this day, and we have now six figure a month uh, marketing budget, but even to this day, allocating even 10%, which is what we do for experiments is a little bit scary. Wow. Uh, but I don't think that the, the strategy or, or um, what we did really changed. Um, I think it was just uh, over time, we started experimenting more as, as we actually started finding things that worked. Yeah, new things. But it was it was certainly very very scary in the beginning when you spend money and you have a business and everyone's sitting around and no, like the phones aren't ringing right as as it, as it would be for any business starting out. Um, but I think it's just the the the, the starting like uh, mindset like that that just takes time. And it's not like a flip of a switch that like two years later we're like oh now it's not scary anymore. And I think there's still that component, but I think you just get comfortable with it with it over time. Um, mm no real change in strategy we, we we're always big on experimenting with new platforms and new services and it helped us that we live in the space we sell these services to our clients so it was very natural for us to experiment on ourselves before we introduce anything to our clients uh so that that kind of helped fuel a lot of the experimentation but no no drastic change other than uh you get a little bit less scared of money being wasted <laughs> So Alex, knowing that you have marketing experience, online marketing experience, what resources and things that you know can help us? Like, what can we start to look at? What can we start to study? What can we start to um, yeah. be around to yeah. learn more about uh, proper online marketing? What are some things that you can shoot out to us that we can start looking at today? Yeah, so good question. Um, I think no matter what industry you're in, and a lot of people think that they are the only business in their industry, but in most cases they're not. Um, <laughs> you could literally Google around and see what others are doing. I think that's always a very, very good start. There's a lot of uh, third-party tools out there, some free, some not so free, yeah. that help you do the research. Um, but I think off the bat, literally, the industry you're in, Google, Google the services you sell in your area. 
uh, product, service, whatever it is, and see who's selling it and how they're selling it, what their messaging is. Uh, click on their website, see see how they're presenting themselves. I think uh, that kind of information is just crazy that it's available and people don't even think twice that literally all your com everything your competitor does is available right exactly. if, you, if you think back like i don't know 40 years ago um it wasn't even close to that companies would like literally it, it would be almost like movies companies would have like spies in other companies to try <laughs> to figure out what their marketing strategy is and they would try try one up each other i focus Coke and Pepsi is famous for this in the in the Cola Wars. They would literally have secret marketing strategies that they, that they were going to try to roll out without the, without the other company knowing. They would release fake marketing material to throw the other company off. It'd be crazy. Like literally, you have no idea. Like uh, you, you have these competitors, you know they exist, and you have no idea what they're doing or what they're going to do. Today, everything's public information. There's even there's a forget the website, I think it's moat.com. I think, I think that said, um, you put in any, any uh, other, any, any industry, any website, and you could see what ads are serving on the internet. Literally, you could like go to moat.com, you put in Volvo dealerships, you could see what advertising creative, like the messaging, the, what price they're either selling the cars at, literally the advertising creative that every dealership is running in the US and the world, everything. So um, I think that's huge information for both businesses that are starting up and want to see uh, how to position themselves. Mm -hmm. I think it's huge information for entrepreneurs who are looking to enter a space to see uh, the price points and messaging and marketing. Yeah. Um, I, I will warn people uh, that not all marketing is successful. Uh, just because you see a competitor bidding a lot for a certain keyword on Google, for example, doesn't necessarily mean that they're profitable with it. So just take it with a grain of salt. Uh, some people run campaigns that lose money that they don't know are losing money. It's just something to keep in mind. But I think the biggest resource is that everything is public information these days. And you could learn so much literally just Googling around your competitors. Yeah. I think it's really important to you because entrepreneurs that come up stand on the shoulders of giants based on what they've learned and consumed. I feel like it's really beneficial for people to consume content before they even start doing anything so they know the scope of how people are engaging, what people are looking at within that certain space. So like you said, I think it's very, very important to just consume content to begin with and then yep. go from there. So Alex, moving on to the last topic that I have for you is the accounting, which is very, very important because it tells a story within business and how it's doing, the health of it and all that good stuff. So when you had just started out, same exact question as the very first ones, just talk about your zero to one and how you managed the accounting and then talk about the evolution of getting more clients, putting more numbers into that spreadsheet, how it all worked, how you outsourced it, all that good stuff. So just talk about the zero to one for us. Uh, that's, a, that's a that's a tricky question because I don't want to give it bad advice. Um, so I handled the, the accounting and finance for the business still and it's slowly and slowly giving it up. That was one of the components that's been hard to give off. Um, I don't want to I don't want to steer people the wrong way, but I'll, I'll tell you the way I do it. Uh, and with with my disclaimer, um, what what helped us as a business a lot and what helped me personally with the accounting and finance side. First, I'll say that I'm very lucky that my brother, who I started the business with, that were very different, and he hates numbers and accounting and all the finance stuff, and I hate all the sales and other stuff. Well, hate is a strong word. 
not as interested in the in the stuff he does. He's not as interested in the numbers and, and accounting. So uh, that kind of helped a lot. Um, with accounting stuff, what's helped me a lot personally is that we've been using cash accounting and we do to this day. Um, it's not the accepted way of doing things in the U.S. Um, in the U.S., uh, gap and accrual accounting is what's much, much more popular. Um, it doesn't make as much of a difference for a service business as it does a product. So with gap accounting, if you have a product, you expense the, your inventory differently. So for us as a service, I don't think it was as much of a, a, of a difference, but uh, following cash accounting uh, made us very focused on the cash flow of the business. So in the mm -hmm. traditional gap accounting, uh, accruals are much more important. So you're, you, you, your future income you already put in. So if we sign the contract now for three years, we would we would put the income in. Yeah. Uh, with cash accounting, if you sign a contract right now for three years, you get zero because you got zero so far, right? Like no one's paid you. Like real time, um, real and, time, real time numbers is what kind of that separates. Yes, yes. And a gap and accrual accounting, um, you still have the cash flow statement, but it becomes kind of secondary. Um, with using cash accounting, it really gave us a focus on literally cash flow of the business. So uh, from day one, we were always profitable from day one. Um, and it literally because of the focus, like the, the main spreadsheet that I look at is literally cash accounting. If, uh, like I said, if, if we sign a client and we do a lot of three-year deals, five-year deals, if we sign a client three years, five-year deal, I don't think, uh, I don't think, well, Again, this, what I'm saying, I, I don't think is an accepted general practice, mm -hmm. but for me, uh, it didn't feel right to, to start counting that income when we received nothing. So yeah. uh, I think that helped us as a business with all the processes and operations we have to be much more cash uh, conscious and more cash focused. Um, because I think uh, from all the businesses I know, well, I would say at least half of them failed because of cash flow problems, meaning uh, they were doing okay, they were not generating money and they ran out of money, uh, which happens for two reasons. You, you're not cash focused um, and B, you don't really realize that you're burning through cash and then you run out of cash before you get investors. Hmm. Um, so I, I think on the accounting side, all of this advice is, uh, uh, counterintuitive from what most people learn in college. Uh, but I think no matter which accounting methods you follow, I think for small businesses, cash flow should be the most important. Uh, I've seen a lot of businesses get very excited about three year, five year deals they sign with clients uh, that then don't materialize hmm. and they're kind of counting on it and hire because of it and they just don't, they don't tie it back into to the cash flow. So uh, whether you follow my crazy ideas on cash flow accounting or don't. And luckily, by the way, so it used to be, it's funny, I, I, was, I was already bracing myself. That we're still doing cash accounting. I was bracing myself to change because the IRS required that if your revenue was over 5 million, you can't do cash accounting anymore. And then I think a year or two ago, they changed the, the, the law that now it's up to 25 million. So hmm. luckily I, I'm still, I'm still good for, for a couple of years, I think, but regardless, if you follow my, my crazy cash accounting uh, <laughs> theories or not, uh, I think it's very important, no matter what accounting you do to be very cash focused for a startup, because that's literally what drives your business. If, if you have all these future deals, but run out of cash to pay your employees, you're going to 
go out of business before any future deals materialize. Yeah, exactly. So, so to walk through a story, say a young entrepreneur has started a business similar to yours, and then they have clients. They're getting they're getting these clients. They're experimenting. What should they start to think about with accounting at this phase when they just started going? Where 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 should we go? to to learn to implement accounting within that phase if we had just started like do we hire someone or do we just partner with someone that knows accounting what what do you recommend that we do when we have those numbers come in and we have clients and we have cash coming in how do we manage those numbers in that in that certain situation in your i think opinion? yeah i think there's two questions in there and i'll i'll, I'll do both separately so number one how do you manage your business's cash flow and sales and revenue and hiring? Um, I think, and we did this a lot in the beginning and probably less now, but much more important in the beginning is to do forecasting. And uh, I, I would suggest people to forecast different models. People are very big on forecasting, but then they just have one forecast. Always big on forecasting your worst case scenario, your what you expect scenario, your best case, right? Mm -hmm. And then you do you're planning your everything based on the worst case. Um, so I, I think that that's that was one of the questions. I think the the other question is, how do you actually do the accounting? Um, I was lucky enough that in uh, coming out of BAPS and I, I majored in business administration, but uh, uh, concentration in finance. So I was I was well versed in accounting and finance and that side of the world. Uh, I don't think anyone else at our company was at the time and probably probably aren't now. Um, I would say that if you don't have, I think you need to have two things if you want to do it in-house. Well, I think you need to have three things. You have to have someone who knows it, uh, i.e. they took enough classes in college. And actually accounting is one of those topics that's very, very well covered in most universities if you take the classes like uh, digital marketing just now is starting to be a little bit better covered technology still depends on the professor you get accounting is covered very very well in like literally every major university so uh, if you have someone who took the classes uh, I, I wouldn't hesitate to have that person do do accounting second piece you need is uh is for that person to actually be passionate about it right mm. if someone has the background accounting but they hate doing it please, please don't make them do accounting because they'll do like a bare minimum and they'll, like, they'll always be the last thing they'll want to do. Um, I think it's important in the, uh, for both for individuals and anyone they hire that the people really enjoy doing what they're doing. Uh, please don't force people into jobs that they shouldn't be doing and don't want to be doing. Second, they really need to be like passionate in accounting and want to do it. Please, again, don't force someone to do it if they don't want to. Uh, and the third piece is they have to have the time for it. So if you have if you have an employee on the team who has an accounting degree, actually, and he's actually very passionate about it, but he's actually in charge of packaging and shipping off your products and just has no time for it, it's not going to work. So you need to have those three pieces. If you don't have those three pieces, I think you have to hire an accountant. Uh, we've never went down that road. So it's hard for me to comment on it. I've had a couple of colleagues recently ask me about uh, how to properly hire an accountant, whether it's like a third-party company that never visits your office, whether it's a part-time uh, accountant temp that sits in your office. Um, I think there's a lot of ways to go with it. I just don't have the personal experience to really comment on that part. Hmm. 
So Alex, the last question with the accounting is what do you recommend? What resources do you think that we can start looking into to make accounting a little bit easier? Like you said, we could hire someone, we could bring someone on. Is there is there a resource like QuickBooks that you recommend we use or another yep. thing that you know of that's pretty beneficial for us to start looking into for accounting? Yeah, another good question. I think over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of uh, really great software and cloud software that makes it a lot easier. Uh, I think QuickBooks for a very, very long time was not uh, was not uh, was not easy enough to use for the average person. Um, they've made it easier over time, and I know there's a lot of, for example, for it's not accounting, it's invoicing, but for invoicing, we use FreshBooks. Uh, which is a cloud software that will automatically generate the invoice and send it and track it, right? Uh, a, a lot of that stuff has really come around the last 10 years that didn't exist. Um, for us personally, we use a software called Cashbook Complete. Very cheap, like one time, I think $200 that they pay for it. It's, uh, it's a cash, again, <laughs> a cash accounting-based software, uh, but it's very, very simple in terms of operating and using. And again, I don't want to piss off any professors by pushing cash accounting, but the, the way it works is literally it's a cash book. It's a line items and you just put in line items. Whenever you get cash in, put a line item. Whenever you get cash out, you put a line item and then it generates all the reports and everything from that. So uh, that's a good and easy one. Again, called cash book complete. Uh, it came out like 20 years ago when I started my first company and I've been using it ever since. So I'm mm. sure it's uh not as competitive as a product as it was in 1999. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's there's so many online tools and cloud accounting uh, services now to make it easier that it's unbelievable. I remember trying to teach someone um, QuickBooks 10 years ago. And man, even, even with like an accounting and finance background, it's tricky, right? You have to, uh, you have to explain to people that they're, they're, they're balance sheet needs to balance and they need to have liabilities to offset their assets and man for like someone who's just starting a business and not, not an accounting person they're like yeah they're like what what do you mean i need to have assets to offset my liabilities so uh, i i think uh, a lot of information online a lot of really easier to use tools these days and uh again i'm very worried about swaying people to cash accounting but if you want to try cash accounting it is simpler and cash book complete does cash yeah, I think that we ought to just start diving into what you say so that we get, like I said earlier, we just get some some content to consume and then we can go from there based on our, our yeah. specific needs. So Alex, we have come to the end of our interview. If you just want to shoot out any outlets to you and what you're doing, where we can find you and then we will say goodbye. Cool. Uh, so if you want to connect with me, uh, my website is alexmelon.com, A-L-E-X-M-E-L-E-N.com. So you could see I post my... Uh, my recent uh, speaking engagement and stuff I do on there personally, and I have all my personal social medias to connect with. And of course, our company website is smartsites.com, S-M-A-R-T-S-I-T-E-S.com, where we do digital uh, marketing, website design, and we do free consultations. So anyone out there looking for some digital work, feel free to reach out. Sweet. Alex Mellon, M-E-L-E-N.com. Go and check him out and his company, SmartSide. So Alex, thank you so much for coming out and providing amazing yeah. content for our listeners. So thanks for coming out, man. Thank you. 
What's up, guys? Again, thank you for tuning in to the podcast. If you enjoy the show, if you like the show, then you have no excuses not to subscribe because it takes such a small amount of time. So go and do that for me. I would be very, very sad if you don't pause this episode right where it's at and do that on the platform you're listening on right now. Lastly, go and give a follow to Niche the Niche Instagram page. You can find it at Niche the Niche. You can follow me and what I'm doing with the podcast and also receive leverageable posts, leverageable content through the Instagram. So go and give that a follow and see what I'm doing every day with the podcast. And I will see you guys on the next episode.